Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see everyone here. My name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad that you have come. As some of you know, uh, my wife Sherry and I have two boys, five and seven. Hudson is our seven-year-old, and Holden is our five-year-old. And when Holden was two years old, uh, he was diagnosed with autism. And so it's been a journey for Sherry and, and myself in terms of the, the challenges and the needs that come our way. But, but as any good parents would be, uh, we do everything we can to help him uh, grow and develop with you know, his brain development, socially, emotionally, et cetera, and there's various things we do. And the latest thing that we have started is what's called equestrian therapy, which is a sophisticated way of saying he rides a horse. Uh, but the theory is that it helps his brain develop, and, among other things. And so the first time... We took the trek down to Morgan Hill. Uh, we had called this lady. She had told us, hey, just come, pull up to the fence and the gate there, and just press the remote button, and the, the, the gate would open, and we'll just ride in, and then we'll meet you there. So off we went. We pull up to the gate. We push the button. Nothing happens. We push it again. Nothing happens, right? We, you, know, you know, you just... You know, start doing stuff like that. You know, you don't want to break it, but you push harder and push from a different angle, and you're like, you're looking around, you're confused. And then we said, oh, let's try to call her. We had her number, so we called her a few times. We're looking over the fence. We're like, you know, nobody inside. About 15 minutes had elapsed, and, and so it was about 15 minutes. They were late, and you know, Sherry and I look at each other, going, all right, what should we do? And here's where our personalities personality differences come out, because Sherry was like, well, I think we should just wait it out and be patient. They'll come eventually. You know, I emailed with her, and that's her personality. My personality is, uh, I think it's time to jump the fence. So I started scaling the wall, the enormous wall, right, that, that I said, you know, and this is coming from the guy who I've gone onto a plane without a first-class ticket and tried not once but twice to sit in first class, only to get booted uh, once the guy shows up, right? Anyway. Uh, so I start climbing the fence, I'm scaling the wall, and all of a sudden, this, I'll call it, sensation goes through my body <laughs> that I didn't want, right? You know, like, <laughs> done it a couple times, two, three, four times, right? And then I sort of tumble over the fence onto the other side, and Sherry's yelling out the window, what's going on? What's going on? I'm like, I got electrocuted. <laughs> That's what's going on. And so stars are spinning over my head, you know, what's happening? And immediately, when I basically hit the ground on the other side, the gate starts opening. <laughs> and we both look, right? And the owners are driving up. So they've seen this whole thing go down, <laughs> basically. And the, 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 they, they drive up. And of course, I'm embarrassed. And they felt bad for being late. But, you know, I'm the one who's ultimately humiliated. PTSD started happening for me. Um, but, but anyhow, the whole thing was a debacle, <laughs> right? Because I didn't go by the rules, perhaps, you could say. But here's my question. Why is the fence there? We could all answer that. But in short, it is a boundary. It is intended to keep bad things out, right? Like unwanted, foolish men climbing fences. And it's also intended to keep good things in. In this case, horses. In the physical world, boundaries are a lot easier to see. I mean, you talk about a fence or a wall, or one might say a moat with alligators in it, or even a manicured lawn or a sign. The property lines are clear where things begin, where things end. But in the relational world, in the spiritual world, the, the boundaries are still real, but they're a lot more difficult to see. 
And the term boundary is a word I'm going to use this morning to, in essence, describe that line that must be drawn that is most helpful and most important in our relational and spiritual worlds. If we have any confusion around responsibility or ownership, it really is a problem of boundaries. And the truth of the matter is all of us are susceptible in one way or another to have blurry lines as to where we should draw the line. We're all susceptible to being confused a little bit, sometimes even whether we should draw the line. And our family background affects that, perhaps past relationships or, or our personality even. And those are powerful influences that can cause confusion about what parameters we need to set or what limits are even appropriate and healthy. So we wonder things or question things in our mind at least like this, when does, when does my continued extension of help to someone else or assistance become irresponsible? When does it cross over? Or when is it a waste of time or a bad idea to continue to be a doormat for somebody else? Or when do I determine that this, that this is irresponsible on my part, and thus I need to have a necessary conversation to, to address this dysfunctional dynamic? Or maybe it's just when do I know enough is enough? Or then there's other streams of questions, things like, can I set limits and still be a loving person that some of us wonder? Or a question about how, if I do that, somebody's going to get upset or dis, I'm going to disappoint them or maybe even hurt them. Right, what do I do? Or even a question I think a lot of us wrestle with sometimes is why is it so hard to say no? Why is it so hard to say no? The truth about boundaries is this. They define our lives. They define what is you and what is not you. Boundaries show where you end and where someone else begins. They show where you end and where someone else begins. They are not barriers. They are not, you know, the great wall of China that we are to throw up. Boundaries are fences with gates on them. And they let the good in through the gate and they let the bad out. Boundaries are fences with gates that let the good in keep the bad out. So understanding, now that we understand what a boundary is, I want to take a deeper dive this morning into a couple things. One is why are boundaries so important and essential for our lives to become relationally intelligent as we're talking in this series? And what does the Bible say about boundaries? And, and how do I go about setting boundaries? So first, why are boundaries important to God, to our lives, to fostering relational health? At the core of this, when you learn to define and establish healthy boundaries, you increase your capacity to love, and you also bring greater freedom to your life. Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then he says, connects it, he says, and then to love others as you love yourself. Setting healthy boundaries is a critical part, so important, to how we love others and to how we go about loving others and even to how we love ourselves. And then also there's this verse in Proverbs that, that tells us something about boundaries. It says, above all else, Proverbs 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart. It charges all of us. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of your life. That's part of why boundaries are are so important. 
But even if we know these things about love, about guarding our heart, about freedom, the lines still get blurred, at times at least, on what the loving thing to do really is or how we ought to go about guarding our heart. Because sometimes there's other dynamics and and, and sometimes complicated dynamics that go into this that cause even unhealthy behavior. And there's many examples, but, but think about the fear of conflict. We talked last week about conflict and navigating that. Or the fear that some of us have of disappointing someone or not being liked. Or some of us carry this sense of guilt or should, and we carry that around, and it causes us to continue to carry someone else's problem that we ought not to be carrying. These and other dynamics hinder us from loving people well and even loving ourselves well. At times, we take on problems that God never intended us to take on. And this is especially challenging when you're dealing with an unhealthy person, perhaps someone who you might deem dangerous or even toxic. You know something isn't right by, by the way they relate to other people, relate to you. And because of that, you see the collateral damage that is happening. And the Bible identifies and describes this kind of person. The Bible calls this kind of person a fool. And I know that might sound harsh, especially if you're thinking of you know, a family member or a friend or, or such, and, and I get that. But the Bible says that people who continually behave in ways that hurt themselves and hurt others are foolish. And foolish people, they don't take responsibility for their lives. They refuse to take ownership of their part. They continue often to do the same thing over and over, one bad choice after the other, even if it's hurtful to them or other people. They keep making the same unwise, poor, terrible choices. They keep having the same erratic or even dysfunctional behavior. They don't change their behavior to meet the demands of life. Instead, they want reality to change, to accommodate the way they want to live If you know a person like this or have been in a relationship like this, I know because I have, it's challenging. In the book of Proverbs, this guy Solomon has has written a lot of the wisdom literature we get in the Bible. And in Proverbs, there's one verse I want to highlight. There's lots that intersect this conversation. But but this one verse is quite profound. It's a little bit gross, too, one might say. It's about a dog. You might be familiar. Proverbs 26 says, as a dog returns to its vomit... So fools repeat their folly, or so fools continue to go about doing foolish things. Now, I don't know if you've seen a dog do this. I mean, I like dogs. I got nothing against dogs here, right? In fact, sometimes I love dogs, right? I grew up with a dog. But have you seen a dog go back to its vomit? It's a pretty gross moment. I mean, maybe I'm like the sick one for watching it and not looking away. I don't know. But, but what's even worse to me is dog owners who actually kiss this creature that is a creature that they know, or at least should know, they go back to the vomit when they're invited to or when they're able to. And I'm just like, I just don't know about that. I wouldn't really do that. But hey, if you're a dog owner that does that, please don't raise your hand. But you might need a boundary between your, your dog. I don't know. Anyways, there are foolish people, like what Proverbs is talking about. There are foolish people that we bump into in life, and we don't have control of their ongoing foolish choices. We can't stop it. They keep going back. And yes, it's even true that sometimes these people are in our lives and we're sort of stuck with them. They're they're family or they're somebody we just run into and we can't avoid them. And so we have to ask the question, at what point 
Is it necessary for us to establish a boundary? When do we say enough is enough? When a fool's irresponsibility or even toxic behavior is creating collateral damage in your life or even in their life, wisdom demands that you draw a boundary. When a fool is putting you in harm's way, a boundary is necessary. You draw you need to draw the line that delineates between what you are responsible for and what the other person is responsible for. A boundary clarifies what depends on you and what depends on them. It helps us understand this is me and what I'm responsible for, and this is the line where I end and you begin. There's a phenomenal book, so helpful, that it's called actually Boundaries. It's really the seminal work in this whole area of boundaries. Lots of grad schools across uh, the nation and even the world use this book in their grad programs, Christian or Not, by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. They're Christian psychologists, and it's incredibly helpful. And maybe the takeaway for you this morning is to get that book. It's just called Boundaries. And, uh, and I think over 2 million copies have been sold, and there's lots of wisdom in there. And, and also when we look to Scripture, foundationally and, and most critically, the Apostle Paul, who scribed about half the New Testament, he addresses in different ways and gives great insight into this idea of boundaries. And basically his writings describe how we can make sense of how to establish boundaries so that we can increase our relational intelligence, so that we can foster relational health and even maturity in our lives and even in the lives of others in some cases. And so in Galatians chapter 6, a text we'll look at this morning and dive a little deeper into, he says in verse 2, carry each other's burdens, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. Now, the word burden in the original Greek where the New Testament was written, literally translated is excess weight or heavy weight. And in the book Boundaries, the authors liken a burden to a boulder. So imagine big boulder that you can't lift by yourself, can't carry it alone. It's something too big for one person to carry. And what Paul is telling us is that we are responsible, if we're, if we're in the tribe of Jesus followers, I guess, I guess you get an out if you're not, but, but if you're in the tribe of Jesus followers, you're responsible to help carry other people's burdens, and you ought to be in relationships with other people that can help you help uh, you carry yours. And to love our neighbor as we love ourselves requires, in part, that we participate in carrying other people's burdens at times. And then Paul takes us further in verse three and and shows us how to think or posture ourselves as we seek to carry another's burdens. He says this: If anyone thinks they are something when they are not. We know people like this. They are deceiving themselves. We could probably, you know, no pointing fingers here, but we could probably name somebody in our life that at least at some time thought of themselves in a way that they're not really that. Maybe you had your own realization. I know I have. Thought I was this, but really wasn't. And part of that is we live in an egocentric world, which doesn't really help the cause. We have this nature, this sinful nature, this sort of nature that points ourselves back to ourselves. So, so it doesn't help in the world that we live in. We have to fight against it and go kind of upstream. I mean, if our life is a play, we are the main character. That's how life goes. That's our default. That's our natural bent. But Paul is saying, if you think you're something and you're not, you're tricking yourself. You're deceiving yourself. And when someone continues to do something foolish or sinful, 
Here's what we think on the other side of it. We think, I would never do that. I would never get myself into that situation, is what goes on in our head at times. But that's not really a great perspective when you, when you want to help somebody, because no one really wants to be helped by someone who thinks they're above them. And another reason I think Paul is saying this is because I think he's implying, at least here, that none of us are immune to that. And he's saying, be careful. Be careful, because if you have too much pride and too much self-importance, you're not going to be able to look for and notice the burdens of others around you, nor will you serve them or seek to carry their burdens, because everything's about you. It takes a Christ-centered humility and other-centeredness to bear the burdens of others. And then Paul continues in verse 4. He introduces this idea of personal responsibility. He says, each one should test their own actions. Each one should test their own actions. So my temptation, sometimes perhaps yours, is to get the magnifying glass and to zoom in on the imperfections of others, their actions or their lack of action, when what I think we really need to do, and Jesus addressed this too, but what we really need to do is pick up a mirror, not a magnifying glass, and examine our own life. So Paul's saying, test your own actions. Am I doing what I should be doing? Am I carrying, in this case, am I carrying the burdens, right? Am I carrying what I should be carrying? Because I shouldn't ask you, by the way, to do what I myself am not doing. When we examine our own actions, there's something good that happens. And Paul points to this idea. The next part of that verse, he says this. Then, if you're doing that, right, testing your own actions, then they can take pride. This is the good kind of pride. The pride, basically, when you graduate that you feel, right, and you accomplish something that you've worked for that you feel, then they can take the good kind of pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. So when we're living with that good kind of pride... When we're carrying what we should be carrying and we're feeling that, we're less apt to compare ourselves with someone else. They're doing worse than us. They're doing better than us. And all of that comes with that. And, and we live in a world that sort of fosters that in a way. And then we get to verse 5, and he says this, For each one should carry their own load. And if you're anything like me, you read that passage, you go, wait, wait, wait. He just said we're supposed to carry each other's burdens. Now he's saying we're supposed to carry our own load. Ever thought that? Well, there's a distinction in this book of the two words that Paul uses originally in Greek, right? We get translated burden and then load. Well, well, burden, and actually the authors of Boundaries, right, they liken burden to a boulder, right? Heavy weight, excess weight. We talked about that a moment ago. But then in verse 5, Paul uses a different term that we get translated load. And the Greek term there is the word portion, or you could say cargo, so there is a portion that God has given each of us to carry alone. And Cloud and Townsend, like they liken the burden to a boulder, they liken a load to something like a backpack that we carry on our back. And it's things that we take responsibility for. No one else ought to carry what God intended us to carry. And our load has been exactly that, that thing that we carry on our own backs, responsibilities God has given you. Now, what might that be that goes in the backpack? Well, there's an array of things. For one, your feelings. No one's in charge of your feelings except you. Your attitude. Some of you parents, perhaps, are going, yeah, that's what I tell my kid, you know. But your behaviors, 
Right? No one can change your behaviors except you. So I know a parent who has this conversation with their, their young son and, and asks the question, so who's in charge of your feelings? And the, the kid goes, right, who's in charge of your behaviors? Who's in charge of your attitudes, right? The kid's like, you know, sometimes we'll do a little dance, you know, kind of thing, you know, me, 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 right? I'm in charge. And that's right, we're in charge. And so when you think about the, the contrast here, the boulder and the backpack, the burden and the load, the boulder is that big challenge in life that you can't lift alone. For instance, someone gets really sick. They need someone else to help carry that burden. A person loses their job unexpectedly or out in life and not, know, not sure what to do. A spouse leaves. A best friend betrays you deeply. Your house gets flooded. The list goes on. I'll never forget when my wife Sherry and I began coming to awakening. Uh, as I mentioned, my youngest son, Holden, he um, is a great blessing to us. And, and Sherry and I often say he's the greatest blessing God could ever give us. So we mean that to the core of our being. But he also brings great challenges. And, and one, of the thing, one of the challenging things over the course of time that's happened is, is Sherry will bring him somewhere. And uh, he's nonverbal, and so he can't communicate, so he gets frustrated and sometimes melts down. If he doesn't want to go there, he's not, he can't say it. And, and so Sherry would bring him to Awakening, kind of when we were first getting here. And she'd drive off, right, make the 20-minute drive and get here, and Holden would just melt down, right? He'd be crying, screaming, throwing, you know, his body kind of place. And, um, and of course, that's upsetting and stressful to Sherry. And we'll never forget, this happened more than once, we'll never forget the people that came up to Sherry's car, walked out into the parking lot right here, and were with her and showed up for her in her tears and their tears, prayed for her, encouraged her. And there's an array of examples that have happened even since then. Because in certain ways, the, 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 the journey with Holden is our responsibility, is what God has given us, like our load. But, but in other ways, it's a boulder, and there's certain challenges that, that have come to our family, and, and it's God's way of teaching us to depend on Him, but on others too, which, which just reiterates this idea that we talk about so often here at Awakening. We need others in our lives. We, we need community. We need to be in a missional community. We need you know, to be like a family and help each other. And even if you're not in a season where you're carrying a boulder, you will get there at some point. So build the relationships that when you get to that point, you surround yourself with people that go, I'll pray for you, I'll encourage you, I'll live with you, I'll show up with you, I'll care for you, I'll cry with you, because we all need that. We have big challenges or boulders, burdens. And then there's the load. The load is different. The load includes your feelings, attitudes, behaviors, or even the basic responsibilities of life. Things like you need to put, car in, put gas in your car. You, you need to pay your own bills. No one should be doing that for you. Right? Putting food on the table, that's your responsibilities. It goes in the backpack, and you carry that on your own back. You should carry your load, and I should carry my load. You are responsible to help each other carry their burdens or boulders and you are responsible for carrying your own load. You're responsible to help each other carry their burdens, and you're responsible for carrying your own load. And if someone asks you to carry their load, 
those things that God has given them to carry that hinders relationship and stunts growth and maturity, sometimes for both parties involved. When we feel responsible for carrying one another's load, we also rob them of experiencing the outcomes of their decisions, and we rob ourselves of the freedom that God desires for us to live with. When I try to get you to carry my load, I miss out on what it feels like to carry my load. And feeling the weight of my own load is an important part of my spiritual growth, yours too. It's the way, it's what God embedded into life and relationship. When you learn to carry your backpack, the good pride Paul talks about, the good pride wells up. It feels good. Remember when you, you moved out and got your own place the first time, for those who have done that? I mean, that feels good. Remember when you bought your own first car? I mean, that feels good. There are things like that, and it feels good, and God made it that way. And our job is to carry our load, not someone else's, in the way that honors God. And when you don't carry your own load well, you, experiences the, you experience the consequences of not carrying your load. And yes, it's hard, but it turns out to be a good thing, a necessary thing, a part of what, again, God put in place to help us grow. There's the law of cause and effect. That's a reality of life. The, the Bible in Galatians, later in chapter 6, uses the term sowing and reaping. So you reap what you sow. I love this one translation that says it like this. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants or sows, he will harvest or reap. The person who plants selfishness, makes it all about them, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring even God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants or sows in response to God, letting God's Spirit do the growth work in him, harvests or reaps a crop of real life, eternal life. The, re- the, the law of reaping what you sow is important. When God tells us that we will reap what we sow, he's not punishing us. He's describing the reality of life, how things are. Now, Imagine for a moment, I don't know if there's any yard people in here, but imagine for a moment a neighborhood, and, and there's different you know, yards and houses and things, and, and you have um, one neighbor who's got brown, dead grass, and all the other people on the street and around the house, right? You live in a nice neighborhood, imagine, and, and, and everyone you know, puts sprinklers on their lawn, and then one day, somebody decides they're going to take the sprinklers and point it toward that guy's yard, because, hey, I'm going to do the loving thing. So I'm going to help that guy, right, turn his brown grass to be green, plush grass that maybe El Nino hit, something like that. It would look like that, right? And, and so then that happens. And then that guy, what happens? It turns green and plush. And, and, and then what happens with this yard? Of course, it becomes brown and dead, right? Because this guy is taking care of that guy, and it seems like the loving thing to do. But that guy is not actually experiencing the consequences, i.e. brown yard, dead, that he needs to experience so that he maybe, maybe, doesn't always, but maybe would feel the consequence of that and then take action from it. And essentially, this guy over here with the brown, now green grass is irresponsible and now happy, right? And the other guy is responsible and now miserable. And that's somehow, sometimes how we do relationships. But God doesn't want us to do it that way. 
This reveals to us why we need to know where we end and the other person begins. The boundaries need to be clear. Allowing someone to be irresponsible is not a healthy thing. And to be irresponsible isn't a a healthy thing either. Neither moves us or someone else toward growth or maturity. You're not helping someone by carrying their load for them. We are to love one another, not be one another. We are to love one another, not be one another. You may be trying to help someone, and you may even think that's the loving thing to do. It might look like on the out, that on the outside, but you're actually helping them not experience the consequences for carrying their load. And what it does is it short circuits growth and maturity. And I know for some, perhaps you're wondering internally, like, this isn't the Christian thing to do. Shouldn't you be, like, gracious and generous? And isn't this a loving thing to do? Well, yeah, you should be gracious and generous and do the loving thing. But that gets defined certain ways sometimes that aren't quite right, I believe. Right? We have to let the law of cause and effect, sowing and reaping, take its course. God made that to be true. I mean, I think it's why some of you don't know this person, but it's why Notorious B.I.G. once long ago said, mo money, mo problems. I mean, he was right. Because if you have money, right, I mean, if you have money, it's actually harder not to give it. But if you don't have money, hey, I don't have it. I can't help you. Right? I can't water your lawn, so to speak. I can't let you live with me. I can't, you know, whatever. Right, conversation over. But if you got the money, if you got the resources, if you got the help and assistance that you can offer, it's actually quite more, it's a lot more challenging. Now, it might not feel like the loving thing to do to let that person have to deal with the consequences, but I would argue that the scriptures make a case for that over and over again. Taking responsibility for yourself is healthy. And taking responsibility for Another adult is not. It can be harmful to you and to them. And this is why, this is why one of the best words, one of the best words in setting boundaries is the simple word no. One of the best words in setting boundaries is the word no. Especially when it comes to someone who wants to continually borrow money or live with you and they shouldn't be, or someone who feels like they're controlling you through manipulation or guilt, or someone who keeps doing something harmful to you or other people, someone who keeps trying to take advantage of you over and over again. And it may not feel like the loving thing to do, but often it is the most loving thing to do. And just because, just because you don't give in to someone's demands doesn't mean you're giving up on them. Just because you give in, or sorry, don't give in to their demands, that doesn't mean you're giving up on them. I mean, you ever been in a relationship where you, where you feel like you're, you care more about their life than they do even their own life? I mean, that's a challenging place to be. And truth is needed. In one place, Paul, Ephesians chapter 4, he sheds some insight into this when he says this, instead... It's like saying, like, a different way to live and engage, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love. Then he says, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him, Jesus, who is the head that is Christ. You see the links of growth and maturity and speaking the truth? Setting healthy relational boundaries requires, at times, that we speak the truth, of course, always in love, but that we speak the truth to others who we are in relationship, especially when there's an unhealthy dynamic. 
Some of us, the application is we need to say no to some person or some dynamic that exists in a relationship in your life. Then there's another subset, perhaps, of, of some of you here. And your struggle isn't the problem of saying no. You have a problem or challenge saying yes. In other words, you're not carrying your own load. You continue to let others carry it. You kind of like it. You kind of let them do it. You continue to let passivity rule your life. You don't take initiative. You don't take personal responsibility for your load. You might have good intentions. You may even make promises or give people your word, but you're not coming through. Might be at your job, in your friendships, with your family. And when you break your word in relationship, it does damage. It hurts others that you claim to love. It breaks down relationship, and it even hurts you too. And the Bible says very clearly, let your yes be your yes, and your no be your no. If this is you, you need to determine that you will become a person of your word. You need to start under-promising and over-delivering. This is about integrity and faithfulness. This is about growth and maturity. This is about carrying your own load. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your assignment from God, and you're going to be held accountable to that. To become relationally intelligent means that you need to start saying yes and being faithful and honorable and responsible for your own load. And so this morning, to kind of pull it all together, I, I want to offer you three succinct suggestions that, that I believe are really important in going about setting boundaries in your life, developing healthy boundaries. Because I think at times at least, we all need to practice this. We all need this skill, and there's lots of complexity and dynamics that come into it. But if you want to be relationally intelligent... Setting boundaries must become something you know how to do and at times actually do as as appropriate and wisely as possible. So three things. First, boundaries should always have a time limit. Boundaries should always have a time limit. I mean, at least so you can reevaluate if nothing else. So in other words, I'm not going to continue to do this right now for the next six months, fill in the blank on whatever this is. I'm not going to continue to do this for now. And then in six months, we're going to reevaluate where we're at. And yes, you have to be open. Don't be rigid with this, but you have to be open as things unfold, life happens. But, but you stay true to your time limit as much as, as wisdom allows you to. Second, when you set a boundary, make yourself accountable to someone. Make yourself accountable to someone. This ought to be done in community, and we need to invite someone into this conversation who can say to us, who can be on the other side of it, the truth speaker to us, remember what you said you're going to do? Remember the boundary that you established, the line that you drew where you begin and, the other, and, and you end? Well, that's not happening. I can, I can see it. I, I, I can tell, right? So what's going on? What has changed? This isn't a judgmental conversation or confrontation. This is a dialogue. This is a, hey, let's talk about this. Because learning to set healthy boundaries doesn't happen like that. It takes time. It takes being patient with yourself. It takes prayer. It takes hard work. It takes practice. And I would even suggest start by setting boundaries, especially if this is a harder thing for you, with someone who's going to respect those boundaries. Start there. Take small steps because those are huge steps, really. 
So boundaries always have a time limit. When you set a boundary, make yourself accountable. And number three, your boundaries need to be communicated kindly. They need to be communicated kindly. And one might describe it like this. You need to make your boundaries visible. Right? That's the communication process that they exist. You can't just sort of you know, say in your heart that they're there, but other people don't know necessarily. Right? It doesn't tend to work that way. And you always do it in a loving, sensible, kind way. Because the goal of boundary setting is not to drive people away. It's not to throw up the Great Wall of China and out someone from your life like the rest of the way. The goal is love, as well as the cultivation of maturity and growth. The goal is to guard your heart, and you become healthy, and and you do the necessary thing to let other people, it's under their control, not yours, but let other people feel the consequences of what their actions are causing. Boundaries aren't a way to get people out of your life. And if that's what you take away, it's not a way to cut people off, that you've missed it if that's what you take away. When setting boundaries, we have to keep others in mind. We have to apply empathy and kindness and compassion and love when we go about doing it. Right? It's not just a barrier. It's a fence. And the fence has a gate. And remember the question of what or who Am I going to allow into my life what or who or what dynamic, perhaps, am I not going to allow into my life? And at the tail end of this conversation this morning, what we all ought to remember in all of this as we go about setting boundaries, and this is a process, a journey, hopefully it's stimulated some conversations, perhaps you read the book Boundaries, but maybe for for some here this morning, your one application comes down to this one question. Who in your life do you need to set a boundary with? I mean, who is it that per, who's that person in your life that's creating this unhealthy dynamic and you're throwing your sprinklers on their yard? Or you have a hard time saying no and drawing the line and you need to have that conversation. Or maybe it's the other side, right? You don't say yes. Or you, don't, you say yes and you don't stay true to your yes. And you need to take personal responsibility to carry your own load. We're responsible to help carry others' burdens, boulders, but we're also responsible to carry our own load. So who is it that things are not quite right with? Because at the tail end of this conversation, we have to bring together wisdom and love, wisdom and love. One might say, like, Jesus was full of grace and truth, so one might say, you, bring, you come full of grace and full of truth to have this conversation, always in love, always with wisdom. And if you endeavor into this arena, you will become more relationally intelligent. You will love your neighbor better and better. You will love yourself better and better. And you will allow the love of God to permeate not only in you, but through you. Will you pray with me? Father, this conversation lands in different places with really everybody here. I pray, God, for the humility and the courage and the honesty for the conversation that needs to happen to happen. Help us not to be just hearers of your word, but to be doers, to take action from what we've heard. God, help us to live transformed lives that, that, that cause us and fuel in us the willingness and the courage and the tenacity to have the necessary conversations so that we live more free, we live more in love, we live more guarding our hearts, and we help other people to mature and grow as well.
And finally, Jesus, I'm reminded this morning that at the cross, you carried our greatest burden, that you carried the boulder of sin that we could not carry, that you died on the cross, that you rose from the dead, and that we can give our boulders to you, and you will carry them when we're tired and worn out, when we're weak and unable. God, your grace and your power are made perfect in our weakness. May we be a community here that leans on you and leans on each other, but that also takes responsibility for our own part in life. Make us that kind of people. I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.